Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Morning to those of you here at our St. George campus, to all of our satellite churches, our live stream audience, and our TV audience around the world. Actually, it's just us. <laughs> Always wanted to say that. Uh, but it's just us and a few others who will watch online uh, later this week. We do post the sermons and uh, live stream is on the list of things that we would like to be doing. We'd love to be live streaming uh, the morning services. And uh, all we need is, is one of you to step up and say, yeah, I'll, I'll sponsor that. And to do it right, the gear and everything that we need to do it, to really do it well, would, 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 for the low, low price of 25 grand, we could be live streaming. And, uh, and you know, any hands, any hands raised? Anybody want to take that on and say, yeah, I'll, I'll sponsor that uh, for us? Or it might be a few of you get together and say, let's just do that and, uh, and make it happen. So just, you know, just throwing it out there. If you don't, uh, hey, if you don't, hey if, you don't, if you don't fish, you won't catch anything. Um, so, yeah, live stream. Last Sunday, uh, all y'all, second service last Sunday, this room was packed. It was crammed. Give yourselves a hand. It was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, really, like, uh, you keep that up, and you're going to need a balcony uh, before long. And I had to tell, I was telling first service, right, because, the, you know, they come to first service. They don't know what it looks like in here, second service. And then I was, but then I got telling them, okay, but don't all the first service folks jump to the second service. We need, we need some people to go to the first service. But anyhow, it's just very exciting uh, to see what God is doing. Lots of new families. Our children's ministry was slammed last week. Lots of uh, kids and new families coming here. And uh, very, very exciting. So, yeah, yeah. It's all good. Very good. We're in week four of our shift series, and by the time we're done, you'll be ready to shift into another series by the time we finish this one. Um, we're on core value number three. It's week number four, but core value number three because week one was the vision. So we're halfway through our core values, and the core values will shape the culture of our church going forward. And we're not going to just talk about them and then never come back to them or forget them. Like this is just the beginning of how we're going to keep these things in front of you. These are the, the driving factors. They're the decision makers. They're the filter that we run everything through. They're also for you to know the core values. very helpful to you to know the core values, to know, you know, why we do what we do. And so now, from now on, because you know the core values, when you see something new or you see something different, you'll be, it'll make sense. And you'll be saying, oh, okay, well, that, now I understand we're doing that because of the core values. So they're doing that because we're, we're fun or they're doing that because we're flexible or whatever. Last Sunday was both fun and flexible. And uh, thanks to all the mums for letting me hijack Mother's Day and uh, do one of the core values on Mother's Day. And moms, let me just say, we're, we're going to make it up to you next year, I promise. This sounds like your kids who forgot to buy you anything. But, but honestly, we're going to make it up to you next year. Moms, we'll, we'll do something really big. We'll turn the whole, whole lobby into a spa if we have to, all right? But we'll, we'll go big for moms next year, so you can look forward to that. You do have to come into church, though, at some point. You can't just stay out there all morning and, and get spawed. But All right, uh, so let's recap, and then I'll give you core value number three. You know the vision. Uh, we've been saying it every week. Uh, plus, we've got, we've got new people, new people visiting here every week, and so they obviously don't know it. And so we're going to say it out loud. Uh, again, we'll probably do that every week of the series, say it out loud just to help people. Are you ready? Repeat the vision out loud. Here we go. 
People inviting people to experience and follow Jesus. Say it again. People inviting people to experience and follow. Now, I won't, I won't do it right now, but at some point, I hope, we, I hope we get to a point where we can say that with some amount of energy and conviction. People inviting people to experience and follow, I guess. You know, hopefully we get some gusto on that. Core value number one is we're fun. We love creating positive, upbeat environments for you and your family to enjoy. Core value, yeah, woo, I got a woo out of that one. Love it. Core value number two was last Sunday. We're flexible. We're continually experimenting and innovating. It's our way of reflecting our creator. Core value number three is today, and we're clear. We're clear. Things that are important should be easy to follow. If it matters to us, it should be clear to you. Things that are important should be easy to follow. If it matters to us, it should be clear to you. Now, Keeners, the Keeners will remember a few weeks back uh, when I was kind of setting up the core values, I said that some of these will be actual. They'll be who we are, who we've always been, and that, and that some of these are going to be aspirational. This is clearly, core value number three is clearly, definitely an aspirational core value. This is us telling you we can do better. We're going to do better. We're, I'm committing to this as pastor of the church. I'm committing to this publicly. I'm just standing in front of you saying, I know that we can do a whole lot better at this. I'm always, not always, I mean, I'm often amazed when somebody actually manages to attend something or find out about something. I'm like, how'd you know about that? Like our, our communication is so awful. Several of you have, have managed to navigate our complex, mysterious, cryptic communication gauntlet in spite of the extreme degree of difficulty. And, uh, and so I thank you for your patience on that. So let me be clear about our lack of clarity. Okay? I get it. I hear you. We're listening. And we are going to do better. All right? Now, rather than try to find a scripture that talks, you know, about being clear, we're going to look at a text that demonstrates clarity. It's a very, very clear uh, scripture. It's a letter that uh, Paul wrote back to his friends in Philippi while he was in prison in Rome. The main theme of the book of Philippians is joy. Anybody else brush their teeth this morning? Any joy out there at all? It's joy. I mean, Paul would love our core values of, of being fun and flexible. It's Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, 1 through 9. I don't hear many people flipping to Philippians. Are you all reading it on your devices? You're reading it on the, on the big guts? Yeah, there we go. Any phones out there? iPads? Anything? No? Watching it on the screen. Okay, here we go. Philippians 4, verse 1. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown that I receive for my work. Now I appeal to Eudia and Syntyche. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they were tired with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Always, I say it again, rejoice. 
Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. You ever heard the preacher say just one more thing and then he goes on for like 10 minutes? Paul says one final thing and then he mentions about 12 of them. All right, watch this. Now, brothers, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Cause and effect is clear. Consequences are clear. Outcomes are clear. You teach this to two-year-olds. You teach two-year-olds, right? You, you get down in their face and you get the whites of their eyes and you, you explain to them. You say, look, now, if you do this, this is what's going to happen, right? And then you say to the two-year-old, do you understand? And they say, yes, I understand. And then they go and do what you don't want them to do. But still, you, you try to uh, teach them and, and instill in them that there are consequences to certain outcomes. And that's still true with adults, right? It's true for all of us. If you spend more than what you have, this will happen. If you smoke this long enough, right? This is what could happen to your life. If you drink too much of that, you know, this is what could happen to your life. If you drive at that speed, I'm just trying to hit everybody. If you drive at that speed, you know, for that long, like this is what's going to happen. If you cheer for the Maple Leafs, you will have a much shorter season than everybody else gets to play hockey in, in May and June. Not you, not you. And someone gets up and leaves, right? <laughs> That's it. I, no more of that. More golf, less hockey. You make your decisions and then your decisions make you. And Paul makes it crystal clear that if you want to know God's peace, there are a few things that you need to do. How many here this morning would like to know God's peace? Go ahead, raise your hand. You'd like to know more of God's peace. There are some things that you need to do. And Paul is clear about how to make that happen. Verse 2, let's look at it again. Now I appeal to Judea and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. He pleads with these two women to stop arguing. They were arguing over which one of them had the worst name. <laughs> oh, I gotta laugh. Laugh at my own jokes. He, he mentions, we don't know what they're arguing about, why not? He mentions what great workers they've been in the church. And any good pastor is deeply concerned when we fight amongst ourselves. And disagreements will always, will always happen. And disagreements will always, will always surface. We'll never agree on everything. But we need the courage to resolve things quickly when we do disagree. To resolve things with, with, with love and with grace and being patient with one another. If you have an issue with someone, to, to have the courage and the grace and the love and the patience to go and talk to them and, and resolve it quickly. If you have an issue with the church, to come to me or come to our executive pastor, Dale Betts, and, and let's, let's resolve it. 
Paul wants the church in Philippi to be filled with joy and peace. I want our church in Moncton Wesley right here. I want this church to be filled with joy and peace. I want you to be able to come here on a Sunday morning and just, and just man, as soon as you step in, you're like, mm, I love this place. There's something different about it. And the people are, are filled with joy and peace because we can't fight the good fight and fight amongst ourselves at the same time. Pick one. But you can't do them both. You can't, you can't. Some people just love to fight. You, you, hey, we're on a mission here to reach our city and the surrounding communities for Jesus Christ. And we can't fight the good fight and fight amongst ourselves at the same time. Pick one, but you can't do both. Now, if I was Satan, and don't picture me that way, but if I was, <laughs> if I was, I'd get you fighting amongst yourselves. I'd get you eating each other. I'd, I'd get you so turned in on, on, on nitpicking and complaining and looking around and just arguing that, that you'd forget that there's a lost world out there that, that, that is dying without Jesus Christ. You'd forget about it. You, you'd be so focused on yourselves and, oh, I want this and I want that. And you'd, you'd fight and argue amongst yourselves and you'd, you'd be distracted. I'd create chaos in the church that would keep new people from being attracted to the message of the church so that people would say, well, I got enough problems. Why would I want to go to church? All they ever do is fight. That, you know, that's, that's what I would do. Verse four, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, re. Joyce, a church, a community of believers should always be filled with joy. And then just to be extra clear, told you this is a clear text. Paul says, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice, have joy, and then put joy on top of your joy, and then joy on top of that joy. And just keep rejoicing all the time. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Now, always, always in the, in the original Greek means it means always you've caught on to that, right? It means always. And, and right now, you're sitting here thinking, oh, you, you, you know, I got, I got, you know, and you're, you're counting all the reasons that you, you have to justify a lack of joy in your life. And you're thinking to yourself, well, if Paul had the kind of stress that I have, you know, if he had to work with the people I have to, you know, if he had my boss or if he had my, my bills or, you know, if he was facing what I was facing, hey, don't forget, Paul was writing this letter from a Roman prison cell. Roman prison cells were not known for their joy. They're not. They were not known for their joy. And he's reminding us that joy is not circumstantial. Joy is relational. Joy isn't a response to what's happening in my life right at this particular moment. Joy is a response to who Jesus is in my life at every moment. That's what joy is. Joy isn't a what, it's a who. Joy is a who, his name is Jesus Christ. And so Paul repeats it, rejoice, rejoice. It's a choice to rejoice. Not only is the author of the letter writing from a, a Roman prison cell, but he's writing to a, a, a group of, of, you know, new Christians they're, they're a fragile bunch of new Christians, of Jesus followers, and they're facing potential, uh, you know, extreme persecution for their decision to follow the, this message of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Paul writes to them and says, always be full of joy in the Lord. 
I don't, think there's, I don't think there's another way to be always full of joy other than to be in the Lord. I, I know there's, there's lots of other ways that you can think of, of how to create joy and fabricate joy, but there's no substitute to the, noi, uh, to the joy of knowing Jesus. There are temporary joys. There are fleeting joys. There are conditional joys. There are joys that you can buy for a price. There's no joy on the planet like the joy of living in a relationship with the one who created you. There's no joy like that, okay? Uh, yeah, I hear rabbit trail. Look, a squirrel. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday. who were tell- They were telling me about how when their mom came to Jesus, was much later in life, and just he was just telling me how before Jesus, this was who she was. And then after Jesus, it was just this totally transformed, completely different person. And I hear stories like that all the time. Like this, it's, it's, it's very, very real. The joy of the Lord. Um, verse 5 continues. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Paul continues with the do this if you want that. The whole, the whole consequence thing. And he says we need to be considerate towards other people in our lives. Do you want more peace? Do you want the God of all peace to completely permeate every area of your life with a peace that exceeds anything that the world can possibly understand? Paul says, be considerate. If you want that kind of peace, be considerate. Now, this is a spot where we actually do need to, to you know, look at what the Greek uh, word that he used there meant. Like, what was he, what was he saying? The word that Paul used for considerate, uh, it's used a few other times in Scripture. James used that same word. Peter used the same word. And what the word means is gentle or mild. To be considerate is to be gentle or mild. Now, I mean, this is, it doesn't get much clearer than this. You're not going to be familiar with joy and peace. You are not going to be a person of great joy and peace if you are harsh, short, quick, easily angered, provoked, etc., right? We need to be more considerate. We need to be, be gentle and mild. The irony of it all is many people who need to be more gentle don't know it because nobody dares to tell them. Right? Like, you need to calm down a little. No, I don't need to calm down a little. Could you be a little more? I'll be gentle when I feel, you know. You know, you can't, can't, even, can't even talk to that person. Wag more, bark less. Oh, I'm sorry. He really didn't like that point. It's a good illustration, though. Let's be gentle. Everybody be gentle, mild. Wag more, bark less. Honestly, this might be something that several people need to, need to deal with today. This could be something that, that, that several of us just feel like, you know, I need a breakthrough in this, in this area of my life. This could lead to spiritual breakthrough. Just, just that, one, that one area. In verse 6, Paul warns us of something that is out to rob you of your joy and your peace. 
In the, the text here in Philippians, Paul puts a super high value on joy and peace, right? And then he warns us of something that is out to rob you of your joy and your peace. Something, something that can, can, can steal it. Um, how many of you lock your car? Any car lockers out there? I usually lock my car when Gayla's with me because she will always say, lock the car. Did you lock the car? We could, be, we could be walking around half an hour later, and she'll say, did you, walk, did you lock the car? And I know as soon as she asks that, I've got to go check, because she needs to know that the car is, is locked. How many of you check, before you go to bed at night, you check to make sure the car is locked? You're that kind of a person, right? You, you, okay, a few of you, a few of you. How many of you never lock your house ever? You, you do not lock it. Where do you live? <laughs> Probably out of town, right? Or you've got a massive, massive dog. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm naive about all of that. I'm from Graham and Ann, and like, there's no need to lock your house on Graham and Ann because nobody can get off the island with your stuff like, until the next <laughs> boat. Like, you can catch them, right? So um, I'm just super naive. I think everybody's good. Everybody's out to do me good. There are no bad people. They're just... Some people might borrow stuff. They'll bring it back. Like, I'm just super, I'm just super naive about that. My first time to uh, California, I, I needed to be at the Hilton in Pasadena. And I intentionally flew into San Diego so that I could drive the coast. My first time out there, I thought, I'm going to pick up my rental car. And I'm going to go do that number one highway. And I'm going to drive the coast. And then I'll, and then I'll find my, my hotel. And so I land in San Diego. And I'm in line to get my rental card. And um, um, watching the people ahead of me pull out their, their, their visas. And uh, so I get mine out and I look down at it. And my visa card says Dale Betts. This is many, many years ago. We'd, we'd been out to eat the night before. We had the exact same credit card. He took mine and I took his. And so I'm thinking, I am not Dale Betts. And I look up and, and to see if they're checking ID. And sure enough, every person, they're checking ID. They're matching it with their, with their driver's license. So I realized, this is good. I've never been here before. I'm not going to get a rental car. And I need to be in a totally different city, like four hours away. This, this is awesome. And um, so I just stand there. I get up to the person and I'm, I'm, I'm saying, look, can we call Visa and I'll answer their skill testing questions and prove who I am. And they'll give you an authorization. And she says, no, sir, if I don't swipe that card, it, it will not release the keys to a vehicle. You're out of luck. And I just stood there saying, I, I can't be out of luck because I need to be in uh, Pasadena. And so we're talking back and forth. And then she says, okay, well, there's this, there's this one company that I think might do this for you. And just the whole thing sounded really sketchy. And then these two guys show up, and I get in the back seat of a car with these two dudes, and they take me. No, I'm not joking. This is this is this is the honest. I'm not joking. They take me to a barbed wire compound with a little portable trailer that looks like we're here today, but you ain't gonna find us tomorrow. And they get on the phone with Visa, and I talk and, and explain to Visa who I am, and they hand me the keys to a 10-year-old Toyota Corolla. This is a true story. True story. And the guy says, where are you going anyhow? 
And I said, uh, I'm going to Pasadena. You ever been here before? Nope, first time. You want a map? Nope. I want to find the hotel by myself, says, says the Canadian, you know, the naive Canadian. Well, who would need a map? Like how big can, can California be? <laughs> how big can LA be? And he's like, you don't want a map. I said, no, sir. I'm going to find it on my own. You're going to find the hotel. He said, yeah. He said, do me. He gets the whites of my eyes. He says, do me one favor. Whatever you do, do not stop at a 7-Eleven and ask for questions, ask for directions, because you look like fresh meat. And he gave me this look like I am the last person who's ever going to see you alive. <laughs> and I got on the road, and the car shook so bad that I got off the highway, went up the number one and all that. And uh, I pulled into Pasadena and uh, couldn't find the hotel, so I stopped at a 7-Eleven to ask for directions. And like a Canadian, I, th- I thought everybody did this. I left my car running, probably left my wallet on the front seat. There's this biker gang out front, like, hey, guys, how are you? Nice day. Hey, I'm from Canada, you know, like, hey, guys. And I went in the store and uh, asked for directions, and I had missed the hotel by two blocks. And, uh, and lived, to, lived to tell you this story about it. To say, all that to say, I'm a little trusting, probably too trusting. And the reason that you lock things up and you protect your valuables is because they mean something to you. They cost you something. You don't want someone else taking something that that you've earned, something that you've worked for, something that has great value, maybe something that's been passed down from generations in your, in your family. It means a lot to you. You don't want somebody just taking that or snatching that away from you. And Paul puts a super, super high value on joy and peace. And he reminds us, hey, these are not things to be taken lightly. It's not cool if somebody just robs you of your joy or steals your peace away from you. These are things, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, these are things that set you apart these are things that, that make us different from everyone else. You're supposed to have a joy that is unconditional. You're supposed to have a peace that is unexplainable. You're supposed to be different from the rest of the world. You're, you're called out. You're set apart. Uh, you're so different that the world actually sees Jesus in you because of this joy that you have that is just unshakable because of this peace that you have that's just, it's, it's unstoppable. And where does that kind of a joy and a peace come from? It comes from a faith that believes that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for your salvation. You, that's where the value comes from. It didn't just drop. Like Jesus paid the ultimate price. He gave his life for your joy and your peace. Jesus, uh, when he was talking about this, he compared our salvation to a pearl of great price. He said it's so valuable that when you, when you realize what it's worth, you'll be willing to, to sell everything. You'll be willing to give anything in order to obtain it. You've been bought with a price. You have the most valuable treasure of all. You have the very presence of the living Jesus living deep down inside of you. And so if you know how much you're worth, 
and you know how much your joy and your peace are worth, you will protect that. You will guard that at any cost. You will stand watch over that and you will not let anything break in and steal the joy and the peace that Jesus paid that price for. You won't, you won't. And Paul says, Paul says that there is, there is one ninja out there looking to rob you of your joy and your peace and it's the worry ninja. That's the one. He said, there's something out there that is, that is wanting to take that from you. It's wanting to snatch that away from you. And he says, it is, it's worry. Verse 6, look at it. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Now, if you break down the words, don't worry about anything, what they really mean is, don't worry about anything. And again, easy for Paul to say, right? I mean, he's just sitting on a stone floor in a prison cell being beaten and starved to death for his faith. Easy for him to say, Paul doesn't have any problems. Like, what are you smoking, Paul? How can I not worry about anything? How is that, how is that possible? And since I'm preaching about clarity, I'll try to make this as clear as possible. If Paul is telling us, if my Bible is telling us not to worry about anything, then it's possible not to worry about anything. Okay? Now think that over. If you think it's impossible and that you are sentenced to a life of worry, you are shrinking God down to the size of your problems. And you have a small, powerless God who probably also worries himself. He's up all night, worried to death about how it's all going to work out. There are a lot of reasons why we worry. Part of it's our culture. We're conditioned in in this part of the world. We're conditioned to think that we're supposed to have everything. We're supposed to look a certain way. We're supposed to keep up with a certain group of people. And uh, and so we're our own worst problems because we fill our lives full of unnecessary things that cause us to worry, we do it to ourselves. Another, you know, more modern issue is the social media age that we live in. There was a time when you did not know all the, the issues and the problems and the concerns of every person in your... You didn't know what everybody else was dealing with, right? You didn't, you didn't have the weight of everyone else's stress in, in your life. You might have known, you know, what one or two friends were going through, someone who would who, you know, would share openly with you. You might have had one or two of those, but you didn't know everything about everybody and what, and what the whole world was, was dealing with. Um, I haven't tried this. Uh, you might want to give this a shot, see if it's true. Check your blood pressure uh, before and after an hour on Facebook. And just see after reading and, and just, just the sheer volume of all this stuff that everyone is dealing with, um, you know, and even you're even you're even reading and tracking with stuff with people you don't even know. You know, and you're getting the download of all that, all their their stuff from people you don't even you don't even know. Our diet, our exercise, busyness are all significant factors to a worry-worn culture that we live in. There's a great word in verse six. Right after that opening thought there in verse 6, don't worry about anything. And then there's the great word, instead. 
highlight, highlight, bold, 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 underline, 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 instead. Instead means there is a better way. Instead means God has a better plan for your life. There is a way out. You are not stuck in your worry. Paul says, instead, pray about everything. And if you pray more than you worry, you will tip the scales and God's joy and God's peace will pour back into your life if you pray more than you worry. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Worry can't penetrate prayer. Prayer trumps worry every time. Prayer kicks worry in the teeth. Prayer bolts the door and swallows the key. It tells worry to get lost because you are precious to Jesus Christ. You are valuable to Jesus. Your joy and your peace were bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So prayer is not a last resort. Prayer is our first defense. Paul says, tell God what you need. And even though he knows what you need, even though you can't see, you might not even see an answer to your need. Paul says, just verbalize it. Just just share your request. Make it known to God. Get it out. Get it off your hands and off your heart and into the hands of God. Great verse from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Write this one down. 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, give all your worries and your cares to God, for he cares about you. Give all your worries and all your cares to God, for he cares about you. Tell him what you need, and then you thank him for what he's done. Because you can't count blessings and worries at the same time. You can't count blessings and worries at the same time. You can cast worries and count blessings at the same time. You can do that. You can, you can say, well, let's see. Uh, I gave four worries to God and I counted 16 blessings. I win. Right? You can do that. But you can't count blessings and worries at the same time. Let's stand to our feet. Come on and up on your feet there, soldiers. We're going to read uh, the last three verses of our text this morning. The band's coming out right now. And we're going to respond to what God wants to do in our lives here in the next few minutes. Verse 7. Then, then you will experience, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, then the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. That is a promise. And we're going to claim that promise all over this room here in the next few minutes. We're going to break free from worry. We're going to receive the joy and the peace of the Lord. And I believe, I fully believe, there are many here this morning who have been, you've been living with far less joy and far less peace than God created you for. You've been over-worried and under-joyed, and that's going to stop today right here, right in this room, all right? You've been over-worried and under-joyed, and 
That's been going on for long enough. Satan has been weighing you down with a spirit of worry and fear and anxiety for far too long. And Jesus is here right now. And he wants to take your burdens and your cares, your anxiety. And all you need to do, all you need to do is turn them over to him to let them go. To trust Jesus. To trust God's promise. The band is going to lead us in a song called Oceans, wonderful song. And look, don't even, yeah, don't even wait. Let's, hey, let's start responding right now. Don't, don't even wait for them to sing. If you need to turn your worries and your cares over to Jesus Christ, come and line up the front of this church. You can kneel, you can stand, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you to step up from wherever you are and come down to the front of this church and receive and be filled again with the joy and the peace of Jesus Christ. If this has been missing in your life, if you've been overworked, and underjoyed. That is not God's plan for your life. He wants to set you free. He wants to take your cares and your burdens and your worries. So just keep stepping out from across the congregation. Come down. Let's fill the front of this church to the glory of God this morning. There might be others here who need to come forward and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to start a relationship with him this morning. You come, step out from where you are and come down and we'll pray for you at the front of this church as you give your life to Jesus and simply trust him as your Savior today. We're going to take back some territory that Satan has had for too long. We're going to go deeper with Jesus than we've ever gone before. So as the band plays, don't stop. Just keep stepping up from where you are as we sing this worship song. And then we'll pray together here in a few moments.